third chapter of the epistle to the Galatians. It's Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Would have you stand and do the little thing, I believe the Bible, but I've forgotten it. (laughs) Galatians chapter 3. I'm reading the first 14 verses. We learned um, some new words from the street kids in Philadelphia. Some of them were uh, somewhat profane. I, um, I heard two of them talking, or several of them were talking, and two were just in a heated debate one day out on the street as they were waiting to come into Bible school, and he got in this um, uh, argument with his friend, and he said, you blankety-blank stupid idiot. And I thought, you know, that's such a tragedy. Probably all those children here, you know, at home is uh, something like that, something uh, profane or negative, that, you know, if they would become a Christian, They wouldn't talk like that. Then I picked up uh, Galatians chapter 3 in the uh, Phillips translation and read, Oh, you stupid idiots of Galatia. (laughs) Oh, you stupid idiots of Galatia who saw Jesus Christ, the crucified, so plainly. Who has been casting a spell over you? I will ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so stupid as to think that you begin your spiritual life in the Spirit and then complete it by reverting to physical observances. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it. Does God who who gives you this spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you've obeyed the law or because you believe the gospel? You can go right back to Abraham to see the principle of faith in God. He, we are told, believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You may be certain then that all those who believe God are the real sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith proclaimed the gospel in the word spoken to Abraham, in thee shall all nations be blessed. All men of faith share the blessing of Abraham who believed God. Everyone, however, who is involved in trying to keep the law demands demands falls under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one which continued not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It is clear that no one is justified in God's sight by observing the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And the law is not a matter of faith at all, but of doing. As for example in the scripture, He that doeth them shall live in them. Now Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, himself being a curse for us. 
For the scripture is plain, cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. God's purpose is therefore plain that the blessing given to Abraham might reach the Gentiles through Christ Jesus and the promise of the Spirit might become ours by faith. The Apostle Paul wasn't too kind in his words, but he wasn't being kind, he was being accurate. The word he uses is not a word that means natural stupidity. It doesn't mean senseless. It means that they're not using their sense. So that the apostle is saying, you folks are acting like you didn't have good sense. You're acting with stupidity. Some background. These Galatians are Jews, for the most part, who have come out of Judaism and have embraced Christ and the Christian gospel. They have come out of the legalism and the observance and the demands of Judaism to perform, and they've come over to embrace the glorious gospel of freedom and liberation that a person is free in Christ indeed. But the Judaizers, some of them, have crept into the church and they have been putting the pressure on these new converts. And they are saying, in essence, now you are believing that a person is made right with God through faith in Christ, that's fine, but that's not enough. One salvation or right standing with God is salvation through faith plus works, plus the deeds of the law, plus the observance of the ritual. You just haven't gone far enough. And under the pressure of these Judaizers, some of these new converts are turning back to the old way of life. They're turning back to Judaism again. No wonder the apostle is angry. He's hopping mad. Martin Luther says that these words from Galatia are like lava erupting from a volcano. Oh, you stupid idiots. Now, the Apostle Paul wouldn't make a statement like that if this wasn't a serious matter. Now, how does one get in the condition of these Galatian Christians? How does one... What are the steps to stupidity? That's what I want to talk about this morning. The steps to stupidity. Now, I'm not sure how many of us need anything like this. We may be doing pretty well at it, but here we go anyway. Step number one. The first step to stupidity is to become fascinated by things other than Jesus. O Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who's cast you under their spell? There was a belief in Paul's day, and still is in some places in the world, that some had the power to put people under a trance just with a look, an evil eye. Now you uh, little Abner lovers, can you remember evil eye Fagin? If you can, you're dating yourself. Uh, I got with Floyd Smith last week, and we just kind of you know, reminisced about little Abner and Eagle, Evil Eye Fagan. Evil Eye Fagan was that guy that had the evil eye. I mean, he could, he could put somebody under his spell just by looking at him. He could knock down walls with his evil eye. 
And the only antidote to evil eye Fagan was, was Mammy Yoakum. She'd get into a trance. You know, she'd say, well, I hate to do this, but if it's necessary, I will. And she'd put herself under a trance and put the double whammy on evil eye Fagan. The Apostle Paul says somebody's put the double whammy on you and just put you under a spell. You are mesmerized by something. They were not fascinated by Jesus, but with other things. I read an interesting article not long ago. It, was, it had to do with a group of German pastors who during World War II had kind of been enamored by the Third Reich and had compromised their Christian convictions during that time. And after the war, they got together to repent their sin. And one man stood up and said, You know, we, can, we have been foolish, gentlemen, and we blame the devil and all manner of things for, our, for the fact that we have taken our fascination away from Jesus. But I think the big problem, he said, is that we've become so foolish because we have taken our eyes off of the Spirit of Jesus and the Word of God. They are not fascinated with Christ anymore. They are fascinated with other things. What fascinates you? And you say, well, I really don't know what fascinates me. How do you tell? Well, how are you spending your time? According to Paul, time is a fragment of eternity. Time, our use of time, measures our own interest and our desires. It reveals our priorities. How are you spending your time? Television? Did you know the average American family watches television 55 hours a week? Your child, by the time he enters kindergarten, will have watched two and a half years of television. That's more time than he'll spend in the college classroom. And by the time he's 65, he will have watched nine full years of television, as in contrast to if he were taken to Sunday school every Sunday till he's 65, he will have gone to Sunday school only four months. What, what fascinates you? I remember the first time television came to Knox County in Monday, the prime economic center of the great county of Knox County. And I was just a, a, probably a junior high kid, but the first television I ever saw was in the store window of the Rexall drugstore. And I saw this crowd of people gathered down there, and they were looking in this window, just staring at something. I went down there, and there was this television. You could hardly see the image. It was so snowy, and there's so much interference. But people stood there and watched that thing for hours, and we're still staring at it. You know, if you had come to this spiritual growth conference, every service from the first to the last, including the women's services, you would have been here 22 hours last week. Well, that's too long to spend in church. I mean, it'd like to kill some of us to sit two hours under a preaching of a sermon. Two hours is too long to hear anybody preach the Word of God. And you tell me we're fascinated by Christ and His Word. Who are we trying to kid? What fascinates you? How do you spend your money? I mean, have you ever taken stock of it? Like you took 
of 30 days and you just wrote down every penny you spent for 30 days, even if you took a penny and put it in a gumball machine, you took a record of it, it would amaze you where that money goes, most of it to creature comforts that will not last. Isaiah the prophet, God speaking through him said, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? That is, why do you spend your money for that which is not necessary? I'll tell you why. Because that's what fascinates us. But you know, the average person in the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, is young and dynamic and executive. And he has a an annual, a, a, a monthly income of $2,000 and this is his payment on the average. He has a $600 mortgage payment. He has a $300 car payment. He has a $100 a month utility bill. He has a $400 a month food bill. He has spent $50 on clothing, $100 on social life, $150 on transportation, $300 on taxes and $100 a month on interest of old bills that he's still paying. And that doesn't even include medical bills and furnishings. It doesn't include emergencies. It doesn't include educational expense. And no tithe is involved in that. And the average man in the Metroplex has spent 110% of his check before he receives it. And you tell me that we're fascinated by Jesus Christ and His Word? Who are we trying to kid? If we're so fascinated by Jesus and the Word of God, why is it that He gets only what we have left if there's anything? And the thing that was unbelievable to the apostle was that having seen Jesus, they could ever look on anything else. Who's bewitched you? Step number one, to become fascinated by something other than Jesus. Step number two, to put your ultimate trust in yourself and your resources. Verse two, this is the only thing I want to find out about you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How are you going to live this Christian life, he says, by the works of the flesh, by human effort? That's the way you're going to do it? Let me ask you a question. Suppose you knew that you had to live a better Christian life, to be a better Christian in the next six months. How would you go about doing it? I mean, what would be your game plan? Some of you are looking back at me saying, what do you say, what do you ask? Let me illustrate it. A group of people were interviewed not long ago and they were asked, what if you knew you had six months to live, in six months you're going to die? What would you do? Number one answer was, I'd go out and party and live it up. Number two answer was, I'd spend more time with my family and friends. And number three answer was, I'd pray a lot. Let's suppose that Jesus Christ is coming back in six months and he's going to bring his little notepad with him. He's going to check off to see that you're a better Christian six months from now than you are now, living more dynamically and effectively the Christian life. What would you do? Most of you would answer, I'd try harder. I'd get to church. I mean, I'd take those jobs that they offered me down there at the church that I've refused. I'd start praying more. I'd start giving more. I'd just work at it a lot harder. That's what the Galatians were saying. That's what the Judaizers said. They said, okay, you believe you can be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's fine to start out with. 
But in order to live the Christian life, in order to be an effective Christian in the Christian walk, it's going to require a lot of human effort. You're going to have to work at it. And I want you to know there are churches on every corner in Durant teaching the same thing. Now the Apostle Paul says this. He said, I want to know, I just want to ask one question. How did you receive the Spirit to begin with? By the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? And the obvious answer is, I became a Christian. I became right with God through the hearing with faith. If that's not the obvious answer, verse 3 doesn't make a bit of sense. The obvious answer is, I became a Christian by trusting in and, uh, and appropriating the work of Jesus, the work that Jesus did. Now the Apostle Paul then goes to verse 3 to say, let me tell you how you become a complete Christian. Let me tell you how to live the Christian life. If you become a Christian by appropriating what Jesus did, you become a mature Christian by appropriating what the Holy Spirit does. Now let me say that again so some of you can wake up and just get a hold of that. That's dynamically vital. If you become a Christian by appropriating what Jesus did on the cross, you live the Christian life by appropriating what the Holy Spirit does. We need to, we must not trust in ourselves and our own resources. There's not a single one of us this morning who can live the Christian life except Christ Himself. Not a one of us. I heard a man tell about, he had his little daughter with him. They were in this construction building uh, where a building was being constructed, a two-story building, and to get from the lower floor to the top floor, they, they just had a ladder. They were about half through with their construction. And he said everybody was climbing the ladder to get up in the top. And he said, the little girl, my little girl came over to me. I could tell she was afraid to climb that ladder. So he said, I just picked her up and I climbed the ladder with her in my arms. We played, she played around up on that second floor a while. We started down. He said, she came to me. I could tell she wanted me to carry her down. I did. Now his point was this. Sometimes we have to make an accurate evaluation of our limitations. It wasn't that she had anything against ladders. She just knew that in herself she wasn't able to do what others were doing, climb that ladder. We must not trust ourselves. But the Holy Spirit who indwells us, the way to live the Christian life is by trusting in Him after having adequately evaluated our own limitations. We can do it. Step number three, if the first step is become fascinated with other things, Second step, to put your trust in, your, in human effort and your own resources. Step number three to stupidity is by failing to learn lessons from past experience. Now look at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed they be in vain? Now most scholars say that what that means is that question is reminding these Galatian Christians how much they suffered from the hands of their unbelieving colleagues when they became a Christian. And he's saying, hey fellas, remember what you suffered through to become a Christian. If you go back to Judaism, that suffering is in vain. But maybe, says some, this question is used in the, more, in the broader sense, in the more general sense, to mean, and the word suffering mean 
experiences our feelings. So that Paul is asking this question, haven't you learned anything from past experience? You know what our problem is, folk? Folks, our problem is we're so slow to learn from the past. We're just terribly slow about that. I've got a dog named Freckles. She's over locked up, I hope, in the backyard at the parsonage. Now, she doesn't like to stay there all the time. She likes out some. And when she first, when I'd open the gate and she'd run out to get out in the yard in the neighborhood, you know, the way I'd get her back in would I just leave the door, the gate open, and I'd play like I was going to play with her. I'd say, hey, Freckles, come here, come here, Freckles. And I'd walk through the gate, and she thought, thought I was going to play with her, and she followed me right through the gate, and I just went over there and locked the gate, turned around went in the house. I looked back, and she was kind of sitting over there looking at me. And I could just kind of hear her thinking, well, boy, you burned me, didn't you, big guy? And it uh, wasn't too long until she got out the second time. And I just went out there, opened the gate, and just kind of clapped. You know, hey, Fregos, come on, Fregos. And I started into the, into the yard, and she kind of reluctantly, but she followed me in, just, you know, ready for a little game. I just latched the gate and started in the house, looked back, and this time she said, that's the last time you're going to do that to me. Sure enough, it was. I mean, she's dumb, but she's not stupid. You know, we ought to know by now. Hear me now. We ought to know by now that we can't play with God, games with God, but we do. We ought to know by now that we can't rob God, but we do. We ought to know by now that we can't live the Christian life in our strength with our resources, but we keep on trying. We ought to know by now that we can't fool God that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap, but we keep on trying. We sure are slow to learn, aren't we? And Jesus was always talking to his disciples and saying, how long am I going to have to suffer with you? How long am I going to have to teach you before you catch it, before you get it? And I can just hear him talking to Simon Peter. Peter, Peter, when are you going to ever learn? When are we going to ever learn that there are no spiritual victories in the church apart from the prayer of God's people? When are we going to ever learn that there is no power resident in God's people when God's people are not united? When are we going to ever learn that there is no blessing from God, there is no condensation of the Spirit of God like dew upon us until the conditions are right? When are we going to ever learn that? I mean, I've experienced in the past answered prayer. Why don't I pray? I've experienced in the past that there is no real power and no real spiritual acclaim unless man has been on his knees before God and that might and power comes from him. Why don't I stay before God? That's the question we're asking. It's because we're so slow to learn from the past. Have you suffered these things? Have you experienced these things and have not learned from them? Don't you know that the only way is the way of God? Don't you know that to get out of the will of God brings unhappiness and heartache and misery? Don't you know that when you step out of line as a Christian, the rod of discipline comes down upon your back? Don't you know that? When are we going to learn? 
the last step to stupidity is this. It's to believe that God provides for you because you perform adequately for Him. Look at verse 5. Does He then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law? Oh, what a question. The Apostle Paul is saying, are you, do you think that God is providing His Spirit in your life because you're doing good for Him? We're stupid when we think God is like us, that He works on the basis of reciprocity. I mean, that if I do Him a favor, He'll do me one in return. What a stupid thought. I have Baptists tell me all the time, well, I believe that God helps those who help themselves. Tell that to the thief on the cross. Tell that to Lazarus. Tell that to the woman taken in the act of adultery. Tell that to the psalmist and he will say that God does not deal with us according to our sin, nor does he re reward us according to our iniquities. What the psalmist is saying, what the apostle Paul is saying is that God deals with us. He blesses us on the basis of his grace and he helps the helpless. We think that God is out to love us or like us on the basis of whether or not we're lovable. I'm here to tell you that's a wrong thought. I'm here to declare to you this morning that God loves us and He deals with us in mercy and in grace, not on the basis of our performance, because He's not a politician who pays back those who do Him the most good. He's just not like that. Saturday, a week ago, I was in my prayer time. And a, and a thought just dawned on me. Now, I'd had these thoughts. I, had this, I knew this. I'd had this thought before, but it didn't have me until that Saturday. That God is not somebody who you have to plead with or beg or even pay to get, to bless, get Him to bless you. He's just not like that. God's posture is that He is on tiptoes with outstretched hands wanting to bless us. And that His blessing and great goodness and love and work in our life is not on the basis of our performance. Thank God for that. And the whole idea of that's caught up in that marvelous word there in verse 5, provides because it's the picture of a wealthy, public-spirited, benevolent Greek merchant who just foots the bill and the cast and, and the whole thing of the Greek theater. I mean, he, takes, he underwrites the whole project and even provides a banquet after it's over. And, and what Paul is saying is this. Listen, God's dealing with you is not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of His grace. Oh, that sets us free. That's what these guys were talking about last week. They were telling us something we've already known all of our life. That we are free to be ourselves because God has accepted us in the Beloved. And He wants to bless us. All we have to do is believe that. Now what are the antidotes to stupidity? That's the most important thing. Three of them. I'll brush them then I'll quit. How, how do you keep from being stupid? Number one, verse six, you start believing God. Look at that. 
Even so, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. You start believing God. You start trusting God. You start believing that what God's Word is, has said is true and you start acting on it. Now, how do you start believing God? By just believing God. Let me tell you something. Abraham was not always a man of faith. I mean, there are a lot of times in his life where he did not express faith. I mean, he, he denied his wife in order to save his own skin. He did not always express, express faith, but he became the man of faith by being the man of faith. To start believing God means that you come to the place where you willfully determine, I'm going to believe God's Word and all of it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to start believing Him and start acting on that faith. Secondly, you start believing the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That is, the Spirit promised. Who promised Him? Jesus. You start believing the Holy Spirit. Don't you, don't you be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I saw some of you kind of loosening up here in this spiritual growth conference. Some of you even lifted your hands and some clapped in church. And some rejoiced in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of Him. He's not going to hurt you. And He's not going to hurt the church. Start believing the Holy Spirit. Believe that He is the other Jesus. He is the Jesus who has come to live in our hearts. Start believing the Holy Spirit. Start talking to Him. Start communing with Him. Start letting Him pray for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. Third step. Start believing that you have every promise that the Holy Spirit has. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Start believing that you have all the promises of God. Now what... Peter Lord said that was so revolutionary to some that noon service was over there in first in second Peter chapter 1 what that verse says and and he 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 brought this out not in these words what that verse said is this you have everything you have everything promised to you that is necessary to be just like Jesus You have everything promised to you that's necessary to be just like Jesus. Now you don't have to go back into the old way anymore. You don't have to go back to the old, the old life anymore. You can, you can become the mature man. And you're foolish if you don't. Bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Now the invitation this morning will be this. For you to come today who have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Look, you become a Christian just by receiving what God has provided for you to receive. Salvation, faith, forgiveness, reconciliation, new birth. I ask you this morning to get up out of your place and come to say... I have never claimed Jesus as my Savior. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He's God's Son. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe He lives on high and is coming again. I want to come this morning to, us, to appropriate, to receive, to take His gift of salvation. Come and claim it by faith. And you'll receive the Spirit of God who seals you to salvation. You receive Jesus Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
when you trust God, when you trust Him. And then I ask for you who are not yet free. You're still bound, not by the same things perhaps as the Judaizers. But there are a lot of foolish thoughts and foolish ways that you've been living and you've, you have all that's necessary to live just like Jesus if you appropriate that this morning by faith. Come to say, I want to come today to claim all that God has for me in Christ Jesus. I come by faith as an act of faith, publicly, trusting my life to Him, rededicating myself, joining the church, placing my life here. I want you to do it publicly because that's what Jesus would want you to do. After we've prayed, we'll ask you to come. Father, I pray this morning that you'll do in this place just what you want to do and that we'll not be the ones who hinder that because of our unbelief and our rebellion. Oh, Lord, help us to know, help us to see that we, from our experiences in the past, that the only way is to walk with God, to trust Him, to live for Him. And I pray that after this service is over and this invitation is finished, you'll be rejoicing in heaven because we've done your will. I ask this in the name of Christ and for his sake I pray it. Holy Spirit, move on our heart in Jesus' name. Now would you stand and come?